Professors FM. Doug, as you know, we have joined the Professors FM podcast network. So it's extremely exciting. It's like for the first time in my life, I'm going to have academic friends. This is big. And as part of this, we're going to talk about some of the other shows on the network. One of the things we talk a lot about in terms of sports analytics is the role of incentives, right? It's all about incentives. And so one of the other shows on the network is called Taxes for the Masses, brought to you by Lisa DeSimone from the University of Texas and Bridget Stomberg from Indiana University. And so what these two ladies do is they dive into all things taxes. I think it's a great compliment to what we do. In some ways, there's nothing bigger in public policy than taxes in terms of shaping the economy and society because taxes change how people behave. So, you know, give it a listen. Great show. Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Okay, welcome everyone. Welcome to the Fanalytics Podcast. This is Mike Lewis, and I'm joined by Doug Battle. How are you, Doug? I am doing well, Mike. It is NFL Draft Week, and uh, it's just about the most wonderful time of the year for sports analytics fans people like me who like to think like a gm and yeah analyze different players and different team situations and try to project how players are going to pan out how teams are going to pan out so i am stoked it's good you know because this is in fact uh christmas for for fans right that this is uh near the end of the week they are all going to get a collection of players that are Largely projected as starters and likely Pro Bowl players. Now it's not going to work out that way for the most part. But that is <laughs> right. the that is the beauty of the NFL draft. Everyone goes everyone goes into the draft with a ton of confidence, a ton of excitement, except for let's say the New York Jets fans. And for the most part, people come out of it feeling like they won something. New influx of talent again, except for perhaps the New York Jets fans. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess the Jets are in that. That mix for those top few quarterbacks, so I guess that's probably a good place to start is is that quarterback discussion. Seems to be all you hear about in regards to the draft is just that one position, although there are numerous other positions and other teams in the mix. Um, But, Mike, I know you have your thoughts on on this year's quarterback class. Well, let me tell you what I've been seeing on TV, and I also saw this on NFL.com, and I don't actually – I don't know where it's coming from. It's – there's an advertisement where Baker Mayfield is talking about Justin Fields. Have you, have you seen this? I, you know, I saw an article about the advertisement. I have well, not seen the well, actual advertisement. I've not been watching a that, ton of that, TV. That's perfect because the ad basically is just is a uh, Baker saying, "Hey Justin, don't worry about anything that's going wrong. Don't worry about I guess falling in the draft." So it, it obviously was made relatively recently as fields fields decline in the rankings or decline in the mock drafts has been a major part of the story but i why did they who made this why did they make it yeah also if we're gonna be like pc about this a couple things uh why baker mayfield (laughs) he went number one in the draft if i remember correctly so you got a number one pick telling a guy that's 
could fall as far as 15 that things are going to be okay and things are going to work out like he would know. Um, also, you know, the the things that people think are keeping Justin Fields from being drafted so high, or at least in these media stories, um, maybe not issues for Baker Mayfield, although he certainly had more character concerns <laughs> coming out of college, I think. Um, well, what did the article say? What was What's the basis for this? Why am I, I mean... I couldn't tell if this was something ESPN put together, if this is something NFL.com put together. It it struck me as, look, going into the draft, the narrative for draft night has largely been determined, right? So we know who's going number one. We know who's going number two. And now the ESPN camera will be, you know, I'm sure showing a lot of Justin Fields where the announcers are, are going to all be talking about how he is the highest rated player on the board. But you almost get the sense that the ESPN folks are also hoping that he falls so that they have a oh, storyline yeah. throughout the evening. Oh, 100%. I know a lot of people hoping for that. <laughs> um, and a lot of it is people that, that would say they're pulling for Justin Fields. Um, but it's like we, we crave a good story. We crave a good, um, I don't know, like an overcomer. A guy that's doubted, you see it every year in the draft, a guy that falls and is doubted and now has this chip on his shoulder and something to prove. And I think people want Justin Fields to be that guy. I personally think if I'm Justin Fields, I don't quite mind. I certainly would rather fall to the Patriots or to the Panthers or to uh, the Bears, a team of that nature, than have been a top two prospect and have to go play in Jacksonville for the Jaguars or for the New York Jets. Uh, so it's, it's an interesting, uh, you know, situation for these quarterbacks because it seems like you want to get drafted as highly as you can. And yet oftentimes the guys that fall will have more success because they're in better situations. We saw that with Deshaun Watson. I mean, it, it's actually kind of hard to unpack the whole. Okay. So if you're just coming at this from the perspective of, a scout projecting who the top player is or who's going to fit into what system. It's relatively easy. In this case where the, the focus is on sport and sports marketing, kind of the complete package, the Justin Fields situation is kind of hard to unpack because there, there's just a lot going on. Justin Fields has been a magnet for media attention since... I don't know when he's when the that Netflix show aired if that was junior or QB senior one, year, yeah. but he has the, the he gets more media attention than anyone, and mm-hmm. it doesn't seem to matter if it's in high school with a Netflix show, if it's committing to University of Georgia, if it's losing yep. a a, a, bat, a QB battle with Jake from State Farm, if it is a <laughs> transfer, sort of an acrimonious transfer. If it's fighting with the, the Big Ten to get a season going, or even now this run up to the draft, he is the story always. Yeah. And I think, first off, you mentioned the transfer, and I, I think maybe that's why they had Baker Mayfield. You have a, a former transfer quarterback, similar storyline to Justin Fields, who, who, you know, people thought he may have been a bust at one point and then went on to be an incredible or a tremendous success. Um, at another school and, and be a first round pick. So I think maybe that's why they chose Baker Mayfield to to give the message to Justin Fields. But he certainly has been the center of attention. I think, to be honest, Mike, in this day and age with how much uh, race-related issues are dominant in the news cycle, I think 
you know, it's an easy one for for publications and media outlets to jump on and see like, hey, is this guy dropping because right. of stereotypes about, you know, qu- quarterbacks in their race and are other guys jumping him just because of, um, say, white privilege? It's It's an interesting, relevant story for these publications to jump on. Okay, so let me... Let me let me address that both in terms of academic theory, psychological theory. So one of the things, and uh, I'm going to put an article out there to accompany the the podcast this week, talking about this concept, is this idea of this idea of a, an information cascade, or similar also to this idea of a preference cascade. And so the idea of an information cascade is in sequential decision making. So we talk a lot about bias biases and decision-making. You know, remember what's our favorite for the draft, the availability bias, right? So the idea that everyone is compared to an athlete that almost looks like them or played at the same school in the past couple of years, right? Yeah, um, yeah. But it's, there, there's more to it. There's, there's more dynamics to this. And the, this idea of a, this cascade is that every time someone makes a decision, there's more information generated. And this can kind of build on itself, like mm-hmm. an information avalanche. So in the case of Fields, um, it, it appears that, you know, right after the Super Bowl, Fields is projected as the second best talent in the draft, and suddenly the the Jets make a trade and the Jets decide or sort of signal that they're going to go with someone else, and now there's a red flag about Fields. Then the next team up, the, the 49ers now also made a trade. They also seem to be not so sold on fields. And again, so now there's another red flag. And so part of the question is, is there some private information? And in contrast to that, you've got essentially all the talking heads on ESPN talking about, and I think this is what you're alluded to, a lot of the media talking about how this is a tragedy, almost a tragedy that he is, that he is dropping. It's sort of their main narrative. So there's these folks with private information that all seem to be passing. And again, I mean, one of the great things about this story, Doug, is ESPN seems to be building this narrative of the overlooked and the passed over quarterback before it's actually happened. Yeah, that's that's really interesting to me because, like, at this point, who knows? Like, the, the 49ers could take him third. Um, and we're talking as if he's going to be the quarterback that drops before he does because there may be speculation there's a lot of speculation before the draft. A lot of players are talked about falling to certain areas. A lot of players start to get hot coming up to the draft. And then on draft night, we see actually they don't go that high. And so there's, there's a lot of unknown and to, (laughs) to have this whole Justin Fields narrative prior to anything happening prior to him actually falling is an interesting phenomenon to me. Actually the NBA draft last year, I remember seeing some buzz about, Anthony Edwards and and people being curious if he would fall because he wasn't you know didn't have the intangibles wasn't committed didn't love the game of basketball didn't have the best best uh, pro day or, or workouts or whatnot and um, there was speculation about you know why is this happening why is he dropping and then he went first overall so <laughs> so we tend to see that with drafts and I you know it's like we've talked about it so much that I guess at this point. It wouldn't be that much of a surprise if Justin Fields fell. It'll almost be a, a whole nother story if he actually goes third. Maybe he'll go second. I mean, the, the, 
Yeah. I guess the curious thing, right, is, and this is why I started off with the, the issue of the Baker Mayfield. And again, I don't know if it's a commercial. I don't know what that video is because it seems almost like this is a story that's been constructed of the following, the high, the alt, the uber talented, high profile Ohio state quarterback being passed over for, for whatever reasons. Uh, and, and the package, the collateral packages, the production packages have already been made in anticipation of, of, of this fall. If he goes third, I don't know. I bet you the the commentators look at each other for a second, and go, "Well, now what? Now, now we yeah. we got to talk about Trey Lance." I mean, it's you know it. Yeah, it's unpre. I, this idea of quarterbacks falling happens all the time. I can't think of some of the names. Dan Marino obviously fell to the end of the first round way back in the day. It, it seems like there's a player that uh, Laramie Tunsil right dro- dropped <laughs> to number thirteen. There's always these players that end up kind of dropping from you know the, the camera then ends up and, and what's great about it right is it almost become like a, a recurring theme of ooh look at the happy draft day party in this person's room or this person's house and watch as this party gets sadder and sadder as the night goes on. <laughs> right, right. Even <laughs> though the person's still going to become a millionaire at the end of the night, um, there's just a little bit sadder of a millionaire. But yeah, we saw that with even Lamar Jackson. So I think the prevalence of it uh, with with black quarterbacks in recent years is a lot of the reason why people are just getting all excited about it potentially happening to mm-hmm. Justin Fields. But I also think, I mean, quite honestly... Justin Fields coming out of high school, a lot of people thought he was better than Trevor Lawrence. He performed at a tremendously high level at Ohio State and has all the tools. I mean, I think most years he's the number one pick. I think if he's in, you, know, you look at guys like Jameis Winston, Cam Newton, I think, he, I honestly, I like him better as a prospect than those players. And so I do think just, I mean, just the fact that he may not even be a top two pick uh, with the kind of talent that he has. And I honestly, I wish there was a little bit more deep dives into why that might be. I know the easy cop out is race. And um, of course, you know, that's possibly there are certainly some biases as to thinking, you know, why people might think Mac Jones is a smart cerebral quarterback and Justin Fields is not like we see that all the time in sports, especially with commentators. Um, and that can certainly be an unfair judgment, but also think like you were saying, like there could be some information that's not out there that these teams have that maybe the public doesn't have. I know, Justin Fields did transfer and was behind a quarterback in Jake Fromm who has never seen the field in the NFL. Um, well, let there me- was there was some drama there and there was some burned bridges and there was, uh, you know, his reasoning and the way that he ended up getting a, a basically a pass to play immediately the next year rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. And I don't know, but, you know, it's possible that there's something going on there that, that affected his draft stock. Well, let me, I mean, let me, let me paint a, let me paint a negative picture. And, <laughs> and, and look again, it's like, we are, you know, I, I want, I want this podcast to be about statistics, psychology, little anthropology <laughs> in the realm of sports. And, yeah. you know, the world just will not let us, right. And, and you're kind of doing more of the, more of the dancing on that third rail, um, this week, but every every story becomes politicized, and that's again yeah. kind of a you know just a fact of life in in sports, and a fact of kind of making for interesting narratives. Sometimes you wonder: is the media actually believe it, or is this all 
you know, the, the economists would say, is this all endogenous, that this makes for the best story? And so every week, politics, race, et cetera. Okay, but back to, to field. So here's, uh, you know, here's, you know, based on my research and sort of putting things together, and look, as a Georgia fan, you can comment on this. Tell me if I'm getting some of this story wrong, because obviously you've watched it. So Fields was ranked number one coming out of high school. I think it was actually he was in a different category than the Clemson quarterback. I think yes, one was, he was pro style and the other was dual mm-hmm. threat. So I don't That's know who, I don't know who was the actual overall top quarterback. It, it depended on the source. Um, okay. I think you know because there's rivals in ESPN and two four seven. I think the majority did have Trevor Lawrence first, but I do know there was one one publication that did have Justin Fields as the overall okay. number one player in the country for all positions. Okay, and, and so Fields went to Georgia. Obviously, big local, big local story. Great get yeah. for the for the Bulldogs at that point. I would guess that it was a little bit of a strange kind of decision making, given that they already had Jake Fromm and they also had Jacob Eason, who was also a five star quarterback at the time when Fields signed. Right. Um, right. Now Eason got hurt and kind of you know, and he he as he lost his job and didn't get it back, he de- he decided to transfer. Fields came in, lost the battle with uh, with Fromm, played sparingly. And then at the end of the season, and again, this is from an outsider's perspective who just watches the Bulldogs kind of casually, you know, did not. So he lost the competition. Maybe there's an issue in terms of, you know, coaching there. Then decided to leave and did not, did not do it on the, on the best of terms. So immediately you can say, well, this is a guy that as an executive, as a coach, there may be a legitimate red flag. Now, I mean, and again, I'm not taking sides in all this. Maybe the right. Georgia coaching staff made the, made the wrong call. Fields then went to Ohio State, and as you know, the world is burning down from a pandemic, and the leagues are canceling seasons and then uh, fighting to get them back, and Trump's saying the Big Ten should play. You know, Fields became the spokesman for all that. Now, you can, again, you can look at that as leadership. You can also look at that as a borderline selfish leadership in terms of <laughs> someone trying to get the season to happen so they can position themselves for the for the pros. So there there's information that can be interpreted in, you know, however you want. The other thing I noticed in terms of some of the commentary out there is he had lousy games, relatively lousy games against Alabama, Northwestern, and Indiana. And the only reason I laugh as I say that is I think it was some 50% completion of his passes and five interceptions across those games. The only reason I laugh is I say, as a Big Ten guy, when you're dominating the Big Ten, but your most challenging games are Indiana and Northwestern, yeah. something has gone Something has gone very strange. Yeah. So you, you put these things together, and, you know, I can see the, I can see the question mark. Now, you could say that this is unfair. There are question marks about some of these other guys, but this may be a function that Fields, as as I started out, I was saying Fields has had so much media attention that his blemishes are going to be magnified as sort of mm-hmm. as, as just as part of that. Well, um, you look at a guy like Mac Jones at Alabama. Um, apparently, I had no idea this was the case the whole season. Never mentioned that he has multiple DUI arrests. <laughs> 
and <laughs> and uh, you know you parallel that and you look at a guy like him jumping fields and, and people having concerns about fields potentially having character issues or whatnot and then you've got a guy that's got three DUIs jumping him in the draft but thought of as you know the more mature or whatnot and, and you can start to see where <laughs> where people's people well, start to to view it a certain way um it, and let's Let's not forget number four in all this, right? Where Field has been battling with Trey Lance for the for the fourth to be the fourth quarterback, and he's played mm-hmm. basically one season and one game in uh, <laughs> in a lower division. So there's there's a lot of craziness, and I I think you gotta you really do have to look at it as these guys have all sorts of ambiguous information and you know I drafting is probably not a science at this point yeah and I'll say this in in Justin Fields defense going back to his Georgia days those that followed Georgia football were tremendously frustrated with how Justin Fields was used Um, Georgia would put him in the game and use him exclusively as a running quarterback they would basically snap the ball to him and have him run straight into the line of scrimmage over and over and over again when he would go in and the kid had the best arm in the sec and everybody knew it we saw it in the spring game we saw it in high school and so he was put in a position to fail he was put in a position for his body to be uh damaged in a way that most quarterbacks like to protect themselves from and then he was beat out by a guy that was not as talented. And like I went to a practice at one point and I saw Justin Fields and thought to myself, Jake Fromm is never going to play another game in his life um, at coming off a national championship appearance because Justin Fields was just that much more talented. He was incredibly gifted as a passer and it was very evident to players on the team. There was divide within that team, um, divide with former players and the the pull for the team and of course divide with fans and so i think you know anyone looking at that situation objectively would say justin fields did what was in his best interest at the time um the way that he did it i know has been heavily criticized and you know maybe that's that's been a knock on him in this draft i have no idea but i will say this about him given his talent level and given that he will likely be playing on a far superior team than guys like Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, and maybe even Mac Jones. I expect him to have the most early success of any quarterback in this class because you look at teams like the Panthers, you look at teams like uh, I've seen a projected to the Bears or to the Patriots. I mean, these are fringe, you know, these are teams that, that could make the playoffs within a year or two. Trevor Lawrence going to Jacksonville, it's hard to foresee that. Uh, and we see that all the time with with young quarterbacks. So I think, you know, whether he's a victim of this or not, whether it is, you know, there are some legitimate concerns, I think Justin Fields will have an opportunity to rise above it and, and have that that story, you know, that, that Deshaun Watson had and, and that we've seen with Lamar Jackson where he goes on to, to be the successful one that was overlooked. So I think that's kind of what they're setting up, and I think it'll be exciting to watch for whatever – team lands him i certainly would be excited if my team did well okay at the end of the day we kind of go through this every year i think where there's always this kind of the, the quarterbacks are the main event for the draft and mm-hmm. all this all this talk back and forth on you know who's going to go where it's always remarkable remarkable to me how quickly the the shine goes off some of these guys 
Oh yeah. Where you know, a couple of bad games or a couple or a bad season and no nope, prospect has no future value and it's and it's time to move on. So I, I think I think your point is well taken, right? That uh, and and look, I mean, th- this is kind of a crazy story in some ways, given how much attention to this. That I've seen some drafts that still have Fields going number three to the Forty ers I've seen some drafts where they have Fields going number four to the the Falcons. And I think you're right. If he does really start to to fall, and ends up with the, I think the Patriots at fifteen. Maybe he is the big winner in in all of this, mm-hmm. and, and it's not like the the dollars are in terms of the quarterback market. I mean, you, you think about how this could play through. Yep. The value is really in the second contract. Exactly. Exactly. And if you are not going to be making the playoffs in your first three years, versus if you are playing with Bill Belichick and he gets the system built up again. I mean, is Fields the most likely to win a Super Bowl if the draft plays out the way people think it's going to? I think he is. I think then, he is. Yeah. Then he could be the guy that makes that is making $50 million a year come three, four years from now. Yeah, I mean, I think he's the most likely to be that Patrick Mahomes because you look at Mahomes and he was a guy that was taken in the teens, I believe, um, of that draft class. But, you know, of course, it positions him well to play on a great team, to be protected, to be healthy. Uh, look at Joe Burrow last year, best quarterback in the class, in my opinion, but he has to play for the Bengals. Like, is he going to win a Super Bowl? Well, he tore his ACL his first season. Is he even going to be the same player? His, I mean, his value, um, depend, you know, is really contingent upon that coming back from that ACL injury. And then from there, he's, he's stuck in a really, really tough position where he's running for his life every play. And we, we saw that, um, I mean, we saw that with Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl, like, when you don't have a line and you're not protected and your players are dropping passes, it's very, very difficult to have success. And I think you're more likely to see Trevor Lawrence in that situation or Zach Wilson or potentially even Mac Jones than Justin Fields if, if he's to drop back. So if I'm Justin Fields, yeah, like, will I take that as a chip on my shoulder? Absolutely. Anything you can get um, to stay motivated. But at the same time, like definitely could be a blessing in disguise for his career. And, and like you said, even financially with that second contract being the one that really determines your, your fate financially in the NFL. Now, you know, part of me, part of me does wonder if, am I subject to marketing? Am I getting, am I getting, am I getting drawn into this storyline? Is this storyline even, is this storyline even real, right? Am I going <laughs> to get drawn in and now eagerly watch Justin Fields fall to, the Patriots or maybe even past the Patriots to the Pittsburgh Steelers, right? <laughs> to one of these, yeah. these tailor-made situations for a couple of these perennial winning clubs that are sort of in desperate need for, for a quarterback. And then on top of it, I'm sitting there as this, you know, the social scientist thinking this is, this is kind of strange, right? Where you got all these commentators talking about the generational talent, the exceptional talent of Justin Fields. And will we see this kind of fall? And it's like, look, obviously I have no idea. I'm just perusing the the internet on this kind of stuff, looking at other people's thoughts. And now have I just been sucked into to a storyline that will end early in the evening as he's picked by the Atlanta Falcons, which 
hilariously on a local level will actually annoy some Georgia Bull would annoy oh, some, that, annoy that some would, Georgia Bulldog fans. That would be hilarious to me. Georgia Bulldog fans are, are pretty funny when it comes to Justin Fields. You know, he was the second coming when he came to campus. Um when he played, some people loved him, some people didn't, and some people thought he was gonna be amazing. I was one of those people, some people didn't. He left Georgia. Most people hated him, mostly because of the nature in which he left. Um, and then last year, when Jamie Newman opted out, Justin Fields shows up at a Georgia scrimmage, which was just bizarre. I have a quarterback of another team at a, at a scrimmage that's closed the public, closed the media. He's down on the field with his old buddies, the players. And at the time, Ohio State was looking like they weren't going to have a season. And so people started thinking, is Justin Fields going to transfer back to Georgia where he left because of race issues? Um, and people were excited about it. The same people that that were pulling against him in every game were let me praying, were praying let, that Justin Fields let, would return to Georgia and wear that red and black jersey in 2020. Let me add one more element to that. Justin Fields' sister plays softball at Georgia. Right? Oh, she hit a walk-off the other day. And and so it, it's a strange relationship between the, the family and the Georgia <laughs> athletic program. Like I said, the sister still plays at Georgia, and he was visiting a closed practice during COVID lockdown. Yeah, and I think, you know, was that in consideration? I don't know. I like, I don't, Georgia's very, <laughs> uh, they keep things locked down pretty tightly. And so to allow a player from, uh, you know, if, if you're Georgia, you're planning on being in the playoffs. So a potential playoff opponent into one of your closed scrimmages, um, I don't well, know. That, that, that was truly a bizarre story that I don't think got enough, enough attention. Okay, but, but this kind of goes back to this, this whole issue of Justin Fields is a publicity magnet. Yeah. Right? I mean, everything from high school the the eyes of the world are always on are always always on Justin Fields um and even through even through draft night okay so Doug quarterbacks are obviously the main draw i think in terms of the the media coverage of the draft it's 90% maybe it's 95% on the quarterbacks in the first round yeah uh, with with the other 5% allocated to some combination of well, what are the Dallas Cowboys going to do? And then look, this is a perennial story. What are what are the Dallas Cowboys going to do? And the tight end out of out of Florida. Florida. I yeah. mean, so what what else are you? I, I there's another draft story that I find fascinating. And that's running backs or the lack thereof. But what else are you looking for in the draft? Yeah, there's there's a lot. Um, one really really interesting one to me is this year's Heisman winner, Devonta Smith. Uh, kid won a national championship as a freshman against my Georgia Bulldogs in, in a historic play coming off a historic season where he essentially looked like the Jerry Rice of college football, just absolutely dominated the SEC um, and, and in a way that hasn't been done in such a long time that he won the Heisman as a wide receiver. And yet he weighed in at, I believe he was like in the 160 range weight wise um, at his pro day or at the combine or whatnot. And so he's tiny. He had so much success in college and he's a player to me that he's not a sure bet, but he'll probably go in the top 10. And so that, that's such an interesting storyline to me, uh, Devonta Smith. And 
you know, speaking of his size, I remember in high school I saw him go up against Georgia safety Richard LeCount in press coverage in an all-star weekend practice, and LeCount drove him not just to the sideline but beyond the sideline and onto the bench uh, in press coverage because he was so much stronger. And LeCount's not even going to be a – you know, he may not get drafted. I mean, he'll be a late draft pick this year. Uh, tremendous player, by the way. But, you know, so the, there's, there's certainly always been questions about his strength, and I think there are people that question that going to college thinking he's going to have to add some weight to have success. Well, guess what? He won the Heisman at, at you know, at most 175 pounds. It's almost like you want to do an after show where we just cover the uh, the, the likely Georgia Bulldog free agent signings. As well. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I'll no, tell but, you the, the. But again, this the Georgia, is the beauty of all this, right? Yeah, and yeah. and as a Georgia guy, uh, the one player from this year's team that I would absolutely want. Um, well, first off, uh, first off, I would say Kyle Pitts absolutely tore up Georgia uh, this last year, as did Devonta Smith. But um, and and while we're on that subject, J.C. Horn, uh, cornerback out of South Carolina, six foot one, one of the best corners I've seen in the SEC. Um, just just a tremendous player. So those are all guys that you know I had the the opportunity to watch even in person in the last couple of years that I, I really believe in the player off Georgia's roster that I feel good about that could go anywhere from like the early teens to like the early second round is uh outside linebacker Aziz Ojolari and something that sets him apart. He's a guy, by the way, that I, I really believe will be a pro bowler. Something that sets him apart is like, yes, he's, he's got a great work ethic. Yes. He's, a tremendous athlete with a tremendous skill set that has had a lot of success in the SEC. Um, but by all accounts, stand-up guy, great character guy. And when I look at Georgia and the players that have had success, and even like having talked to some of these guys on my podcast, more often than not, I don't know why, but those guys, those character guys, tend to be the ones that make it at the next level. For whatever reason, um, and, and so you know, it just might be with everybody being so talented and so athletic, that might be the intangible that that puts them over the top. But he's a guy I would be so thrilled if my team took, um, and I just felt like I had to share that, put that one on tape because I, I just have a really good feeling okay. about his future. Well, look, I think you know this idea of character is a tough one, right? It's. Um, Character will always be something that they'll they'll talk about in, in the context of drafts. I, I think what makes it tough is it's probably something that the teams can observe, but the fans cannot observe, right? The fans are seeing things through this filtered media lens, and by the way, players present themselves in in, uh, in public and the way they build their brands. The the idea, and so you probably get a little bit more of a glimpse of the the truth of character. Um, you know, I think there's there's pretty robust findings that one of the key things that separates uh, the successful from the unsuccessful in life is this this characteristic of character or grit, right? And so it is something that, and again, this is kind of the dilemma for the fans. We get everything filtered. We get the talking heads' opinions. We see the mock drafts, mm -hmm. right? We do not actually know. The, the the personalities that these teams are committed to to learning now given the number of misses in drafts over time it also seems like teams are not that great at understanding grid or commitment mm -hmm. whatever the other position the position group that i wanted to and 
this might be the case. I'm not sure about this. This might be the case of off of outside linebackers as well. It strikes me that the first round of the draft, and this is from a casual look at mock drafts, and it strikes me as true over the last few years, will be full of quarterbacks, wide receivers. A lot of wide receivers, I'm seeing. Cornerbacks, offensive tackles. linemen, mostly yeah. tackles, uh, D linemen as well, and relatively short on positions like, even though you know Pitts is the top five pick perhaps, Relatively short on running backs, safeties, tight ends, interior linemen, interior offensive linemen. There are honestly surprisingly few linebackers Well, it, relative to other years. I mean, that tends to be a heavier... And so as a kind of general theme, right? It's like, are, are people overreaching on quarterbacks, right? Is there such a need yes. to get the <laughs> franchise quarterback that you're going to take a second-round talent in the first round because... You got a 25% chance they become an elite quarterback. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, maybe one running back's going to go in the first round. One or two, most. Um, I, I think I saw something that, you know, maybe 15 running backs have gone in the first round over the last decade. Yeah. And so one of the questions, and, and look, the idea of doing analytics on individual quarterbacks, you know, on individual players, is probably a waste of time, right? There is no magic analytics bullet that says, oh, you need to draft Fields third, or you need to draft Lawrence. Maybe Lawrence should go seventh with the right you know, <laughs> that's, that's kind of BS. I do suspect there's a place for analytics in terms of where you should be drafting. And running backs are an interesting one to me because you can understand sort of how the, how the dynamics work of all this, right? So you can get the top running back at the end of the first round. Does that mean you should do it? You know, you can get the top running back or the sixth wide receiver. Yeah. It's... Right? And so, yeah, you can imagine having a legitimate debate about that. Now, but it becomes sort of conventional wisdom, right? And so if everyone thinks they can get the running backs later, then everyone pushes back. And everyone drafts these guys in the third or the, or the fourth round. And, and so the question becomes is, are you going to be better off by reflecting let's say the conventional wisdom, the way the market works, or are you going to be better off if you do something different? Are you better off getting the top running back or, like I said, the seventh wide receiver? Yeah, it's running back is such a fascinating one because there's some players, like being a Giants fan, uh, taking Saquon Barkley, number three, or number two, uh, one of the two, uh, a few years back, was a heavily criticized move. I 100% thought that Saquon Barkley in that draft is the most likely player to be a Hall of Famer. I thought, you know, he is elite. He is Barry Sanders if he was bigger and stronger. I mean, everything you could need in a running back, a surefire pick, you know he's going to be a pro bowler. Zero chance he's not. And people that, you know, were also in the conversation were guys like Sam Darnold. People are saying, wow, the Giants are taking a running back where they could have you know, one of these early first round quarterbacks, like you don't pass on a quarterback when you have a top five pick and take a running back when running backs normally go as early as the 25th pick. And seeing how that's played out and seeing Saquon be that pro bowler type player, but also seeing him tear his ACL uh, relatively early into his career and kind of wondering, is he going to be the same player moving forward? And seeing Sam Darnold's career and seeing uh, not a lot of success, 
but also seeing that his trade value was tremendous at the time and looking at what um you know the the 49ers recently traded to move up to the third pick in the draft thinking wow what could the giants have done with those kinds of assets and so uh, all that to say running back is probably the the position that nobody can can figure out um you know is it best to t- I remember Todd Gurley he was the first player in a couple of years at the time to to be a first round running back and he became an MVP candidate, like definitely, or he won MVP. He won offensive MVP and uh, definitely worth the pick. But we've seen a number of guys uh, going back as far as, I'm trying to think of that. Oh, Trent Richardson from Alabama, who were a complete waste of a first round pick. Um, and then there's the in-betweeners. It's the guys that are successful. But I think the I think the issue with running back is it's somewhat of a commodity position where there's, you know, there's 30 guys in the league that can average four yards a carry, and the more elite players might average 4.5 yards per carry. So the the marginal difference in taking a player in the third round versus taking a player in the first round is just not the same as taking a quarterback. Where you know your late quarterback picks very very rarely pan out. And of course, you have the Tom Brady's, but that that is more the exception than the rule. Um, and the, the early ones rarely pan out too, but most of the elite quarterbacks in the NFL today were early draft picks. Uh, maybe not the case with running backs, and even running backs that are elite tend not to last for an incredibly long time. I think Le'Veon Bell is, is a more recent example of that where it's like he was elite, he wanted a lot of money, his team didn't want to pay him. They did just fine without him. They found another guy that could carry the load and do just about as well. Well, and I think that that's a good way of framing this kind of this topic of maybe there's a need for more analytics because frankly what, I, what yeah. I heard in there is a lot of a lot of observations I'm not saying that any of the I'm not saying any of the observations are wrong it's just a question of you know what's kind of the overall what's kind of the overall truth of it Levy and Bell was a second round mm-hmm. pick I believe and you know the Steelers seemingly made the right call of not signing him for the the, the big money contract where versus you know Gurley obviously signed for the big money contract and was cut a year later I think uh, Ezekiel yeah. Elliott signed for big money and then had a bit of a drop off last year so it but you know the 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 point is still out there like what is the, uh, the, the I mean you may I, I loved what you said about sort of the marginal value. And so you think about it in terms mm-hmm. of let's say replacement players. So what is the replace? Mm-hmm. What's the marginal value of a guy drafted very high in the league versus whatever this sort of generic replacement running back is? Maybe it's not that much. I don't know that that quantity is all that well understood. And but I so I would just put it out there that I think it's an interesting question. So let's just say for the Falcons, if you're the Falcons, and you can get Trey Lance at number four or Justin Fields. Let's say Trey Lance at number four, since there's more uncertainty, I think, about mm-hmm. his uh, his outcomes. Mm-hmm. Would you rather have Trey Lance, or would you rather package that pick and potentially get the number one safety and the number one running back on the board? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I think that's where analytics has some real value in the NFL draft in terms of understanding, not, let's say not so much in terms of understanding who the best players are, but understanding how the marketplace works for different mm-hmm. draft levels and different positions and seeing if that's where you can find uh, market inefficiencies. 
Yeah, one, one thing I failed to mention at the running back position that, that makes it even more interesting is the fact that more often than not, running backs have their best years on that first contract. Oh, so absolutely. If you're weighing, even if, I mean, you talked about the Falcons, who's going to have a better first three years in the NFL? Trey Lance or Najee Harris, who's going to go probably in the 20s or, or 30s in the draft. Like, I would bet Najee Harris probably has a better first couple years as far as, like, he'll probably make a Pro Bowl in there. You know, he'll he'll probably have some success. If not Najee, then Travis Etienne or, or, or Etienne, excuse me. Um, well. Or one of the other top running back prospects. And you're getting them, you know, you're getting them in their best years at their lowest value, whereas quarterbacks – this first couple of years tend to be pretty tough. Uh, offensive linemen, offensive tackles almost always struggle early on. That's quite the huge adjustment. Corners get abused early on. Those first-round corners, we see it all the time. And so it's like the the most likely player to be a pro bowler immediately is running back, and yet running back is, is valued less in the draft. It, it, teams are looking at it yeah. from a much more long-term investment perspective, it seems. And, and that's that's an interesting thing because you can almost imagine as a coach, what do you want to have happen then? Yeah. And if I can get a guy in the second round, the top of the second round, that is going to be a Pro Bowl player, that sounds like, and I'm also going to get him at a fairly low salary, and maybe I can, let's say, get a different draft pick or spend some money on free agency. That sounds like someone that might, let's put it this way, that running back picked at number 35 might be a better situation for me to get to the playoffs than that quarterback picked mm-hmm. at number five. And, and so yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. so I'm just saying it's curious that you don't see, you would almost suspect expect to see sort of more variance in the strategies across the league. Yeah, because I, I think it depends on the team situation. We saw last year with the Chiefs. That was a team that had a, a first-round pick that was coming off a Super Bowl and looked like one of the best teams we've seen in a long time, essentially returning everyone. Um, they took a running back. They took Edwards Hilaire, first running back off the board because they felt like, wow, if we could add yeah. an instant pro bowler to our team and our window is now, this is our time to compete. You know, We don't need a development corner we don't need a development tackle we don't need a development quarterback we need an instant impact player and running back is that position more often than not uh, in, in the NFL but then of course on the flip side the Chiefs have a number of running backs that have produced at a high level and there were a number of free agents there were a number of players later in the draft that went on to produce at a similar level and the Chiefs now have an offensive line problem where it's like maybe they should have invested in a long-term you know development tackle type player that could have helped them even in the Super Bowl this, you know, by the end of the season this year. Well, look, the, the, I mean, <laughs> and again, you know, this point about different teams having different scenarios is great. The Chiefs are now the ultimate in terms of being long-term thinkers, I think. Right? Because what's yeah. the length of uh, what's the length of Mahomes' contract? Fifteen years, <laughs> like fifteen, 15 years, years or something. Yeah, it's right? ridiculous. They it's are ridiculous. now, you know, the, the next. Let's say you mentioned, you know, the Bears as a destination for for Fields. The Bears feels like, uh, or the Falcons. Some of these jobs feel like, you know, these are these are three four year scenarios, right? In terms of what's going to happen with those clubs, and is is that coach going to get renewed for the next contract? Mm-hmm. For the for mm-hmm. the Chiefs, yeah, fifteen years. You should be. 
you know, buying some, you know, offensive tackles that are going to be out there forever. Yep. yep. Offensive guards, you know, they're they're in dynasty building mode, right? If they can. Yeah, they're thinking Tom Brady. Yeah. They're thinking Patriots. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and, and I think before Mahomes had resigned, they were more in like we got to win now. We got to create an environment where he wants to be and i think they did that and now you know they've kind of shifted modes a bit but one of my favorite draft stories last year was uh the green bay packers using their first round pick to take a quarterback even though they had aaron Rodgers on the roster and aaron Rodgers won the mvp this last year he's i mean obviously one of the premier quarterbacks in the league he still seems mad about still, it, doesn't he well I mean, if you think about it, you look at a team that went to the NFC yeah. championship game and who knows, maybe, yeah. you know, maybe they were an elite running back or wide receiver away from, cause, because he, I, mean, I think the criticism of that team was, was that Rogers didn't have enough support, that he didn't have enough uh, weapons and, you know, weapons were available for, for the Green Bay Packers when they took a quarterback that never saw the field. And so it's like they may have cost themselves, you know, one of one of Rogers' prime years of having a shot at the Super Bowl. I mean, they they're in their window and they invested in a long-term project type player. We'll see how that pans out, of course. You know, they they may be the big winners in that, just like they were taking Aaron Rodgers when they had Brett Favre. Um, but you know, as a I'm sure as a Packers fan, it, it could be frustrating to think, man, if we could have had, you know, a game-changing playmaker type for Rodgers to get the ball to. We could have won that NFC Championship game. We could have been in the Super Bowl. We could have potentially won the Super Bowl just like the Bucks did. I think that's dead on, right? And that's the that's the beauty of the NFL draft, right? Uh, a source of hope and a source of kind of missed opportunities to for fans to dwell on. <laughs> second for years. guessing, second guessing. Okay, Doug. So sure. as we come up on the end of a NFL draft, great story, and again. Almost this one almost feels weird with the way the narrative seems to be written before the the draft starts. Yeah, yeah. Um, what else is on your sports radar as we come up on May? Coming up on May, for me, it's it's almost NBA playoff time. Typically, it would be the NBA playoffs right now. Um, I think the most unique part of this NBA season, and, and it's unfortunate is the injuries. Uh, we're seeing teams like the Nets who will lose Durant for an extended period and then lose Kyrie for a short period and then lose Harden for an extended period. Uh, LeBron and Anthony Davis have been out for, for different periods of time. Trey Young recently became injured. Damian Lillard's been hurt. Like All the superstars have been hurt. I don't know if it's because of coming off of a season uh, so quickly with, with last season ending almost immediately before the season began uh, due to the pandemic. But that's one where there, there's a lot up in the air going into the playoffs. And I think, you know, with, with a changed playoff structure where there's going to be a play-in tournament, the NBA is doing everything they can to to create as much drama given the fact that the pandemic was an enormous setback for all of sports and particularly um, professional basketball. So that's definitely something to keep an eye on. Mike, off-air before this podcast, I was speaking with you about cryptocurrencies and i've seen some interesting uh sports storylines 
in regards to that. Um, one being that Trevor Lawrence just signed an endorsement with some like crypto trading platform, which is the first time that I've seen anything like that. And I guess we can expect that to be the, the new normal. Um, but Kansas City Chiefs player Sean Culkin just became the first NFL player to convert his entire salary to Bitcoin. Um, and, and I've seen some other storylines in that whole world about NFTs and, and how sports could become involved in that in different leagues and in different ways sports could be monetized um, through that whole new universe that, that is currently expanding. And so that's something I'm certainly keeping an eye on um, as not just a sports fan, but um, you know, someone really interested in the business of sports. I think we definitely got an, M- an NFT episode ahead of us at some point. <laughs> I, I'll fully admit to I, look, I, I think it's an amazing story because it, it really, it really does get to the heart of kind of fan behavior and this. Because mm-hmm. you know, especially the NFT stuff, right? It's like this this idea of owning something and whatever ownership means in this category is a is a strange thing. But owning a scarce resource because of wanting to own it, right? And so, why do people want to own mm-hmm. these things? It, there, there's obviously some status or cachet associated, and I'm talking the NFTs. So I, I think that is definitely something we should dig into. But I, I think that one is a strange enough and a big enough story that that merits its own its own episode as we go forward. Let me ask you one last question. The Nets, you mentioned the Nets guys, and the Nets seem like they've yes. got it kind of going on right now at, the, at this moment. If these guys had actually been able to get the deals done and had gone to the New York Knicks instead, mm-hmm. would that be the biggest story in sports yes. this year? Yes. And, yes. And, and so and how much of this is the magic of brands that if they were playing across town, that they would be the sports story that follow on to Tom Brady, but it would just be the biggest thing out there. Yeah, and we know it would be because the Knicks, look at the Knicks record. I'm looking at it right now. They're 34 and 27. So a relatively good season for a New York Knicks franchise that has had horrible seasons for my entire Phenomenal for the Knicks. For my entire lifetime. And Joyous Randall um, really coming into his own this year. I've seen just about as much Knicks buzz as Nets buzz. Of course, the Knicks don't have a tenth of the star power, um, but just with Julius Randle and them having a winning record, a, a over 500 record, they had a, a pretty significant win streak in recent weeks. And uh, I know Charles Oakley recently came out and said that Julius Randle is a better version of Zion Williamson. Um, and so the, the Knicks hype is just uh, something else. I mean, talk about a sleeping giant in sports. That franchise is just waiting to explode. And yeah, absolutely. I think if Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving were, were wearing Knicks uniforms in the garden every night, um, the New York Knicks would be the the biggest name in sports right now, the biggest story on ESPN every night. And uh, it, part of me thinks it's a shame, but part of me is very intrigued to see this Nets versus Knicks battle where the, the Nets are really building from scratch, um, but you know, have a chance to win a championship and and can potentially steal some of that market share with the Knicks. 
and poor NBA, right? Can you imagine if those guys had gone to the Knicks and potentially looking at a, a, a you know, if LeBron and Davis come back, yeah, full, Knicks, full Knicks versus Lakers, looking at a Knicks Ooh. Lakers championship might be enough to rejuvenate that or sort of reignite fan passion yeah. broadly for that yeah. league. Okay, so let's let's wrap it up there because, frankly, Doug, we could go on and on. We've got more news out of you know. NFTs, Jake and Logan Paul. There's all these kind of great, silly stories that I just absolutely love. But we'll put those off till future. Yeah, the MLB is happening. So as always, so thought I'd throw that in there. As always, guys, a lot more content at www.fandomanalytics. Thanks for listening.